So we have a short psalm tonight, and I think it's worth us reading the entire psalm since it's only six verses. If you're physically able to stand, let's stand together for the reading of God's word. Psalm 128, six verses. It starts this way. How blessed is everyone, Psalm 128, one, who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you shall eat of the fruit of your hands, you will be happy, and it will be well with you. Your wife, verse 3, shall be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children, like olive plants around your table. Behold, for thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion, and may you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Indeed, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. You'll notice if uh, you have uh, titles at the top of each of the psalms, this is another psalm of ascent or a song of ascent. Remember, all the psalms are songs, and they were sung. And these particular ones were sung on pilgrimage for the three major feasts in the life of Israel. Namely, they would come to Jerusalem to where the temple was, and they would go for the Feast of Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles, spring, summer, and fall. God in Leviticus 23 called upon the people of Israel to sojourn for these feasts no matter where you were living, whether you were close to Jerusalem, just outside the city, or up in Galilee or somewhere else. You were supposed to make the pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And this was kind of the hymn book. Psalms 120 through 134 are the Psalms of Ascent. And so they would sing them as they journeyed or took steps uh, towards the holy city or even steps up into the temple. And you go up, if you get to visit the city in these days, whether it's the original site or not, you can see how you go up to it. You got to, it's on an elevated um, hill. And so you would sing these songs and you would sing them in caravan, namely with your family, your extended family. You, you might migrate with other families. Let's say you lived in Nazareth, for example, as Jesus did you might, with multiple families from your village, travel in caravan to Jerusalem. And so just like you might sing songs in the car with your family, these were the songs that you would sing as you would go to the holy city. And this is one of them. This is the ninth song of ascent. Uh, last week, we looked at Psalm 127, and there is a link between the two. You'll notice Psalm 127 at the top, it says, Solomon wrote that. And he wrote these words, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it, Psalm 127, 1. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors, for he, God, gives to his beloved even in his sleep. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord, the fruit of the womb is a reward like arrows in the hand of a warrior. And this is in keeping with the movie in the class that was described to you by Alex. So are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. You'll notice verse 5, how blessed is the ending of, verse, of Psalm 127. And then the beginning of Psalm 128, how blessed. And again, it has to do with marriage and family. So Psalm 127 ends with how blessed. Psalm 128 begins with how blessed. You don't have an author listed there, so we don't know exactly who wrote this. But there is definitely a link between the two psalms, Psalm 127 
and 128. And it opens with how blessed. If you have a New Living Translation, it says, how joyful is everyone, Psalm 128, verse 1, who fears the Lord and who walks in his way or his ways. Now, you could call this psalm the key to a happy family. This is a picture of a family going up to worship at the feast, and it is a blessed description of life the way it ought to be. God wants to bless you, and he intended for your life to be one of joy and blessing. If you have the wrong view of God, we need to start right there. God wants your family life to be blessed. He wants your marriage to be blessed. He wants joy in your household. Certainly there is a season for everything. There's going to be times when you know, we go through grief and we have uh, the different trials of life. But generally speaking, this is what God wants for you. He wants you to be a blessed person. And you have every blessing according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now, the word blessed is an interesting word because it does mean joyful. It's the word ashar or esher in Hebrew. It means happiness, according to Strong's Dictionary. Blessedness. Uh, Vines has it as a state of prosperity, that is in the best sense of that word. It has the idea of when a superior bestows favor on an inferior. And the Hebrew word picture for blessed literally means fire on the head or the chief fire. And the word means to lead straight, to bless, to be happy. Fire on the head in the Hebrew word picture can mean to symbolize both the presence of God, like his a Holy Spirit in your life, as we see in Acts chapter 2, when the Spirit came upon the church. But it also can mean facing uncomfortable fires or realities in life and still being a blessed person, going through the fire and still holding on to your blessings. How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. The Psalter, the book of Psalms is called the Psalter, and it opened in Psalm 1 with these words. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in, remember, the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He'll be like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and whatever he does will prosper. It's interesting that the book of Psalms opened up with how blessed and painted a picture of a person who doesn't walk the wrong way in the wrong counsel with the wrong worldview. I was listening to Frank Sontag this afternoon on KKLA. He said the latest Barna research poll says 6% of confessing evangelicals have what we would describe as a biblical worldview. Let me say that again. 6%. You say, well, what do the rest of professing evangelicals have? Some amalgamation of different wor worldviews, whether it be humanism, Eastern religion, you name it. Oftentimes a smorgasbord of syncretistic thought is how they would say it in scholarly circles, a blending of different ideas from different religions or worldviews. But the blessed person doesn't walk in the confusion of the world and different worldviews and the counsel of the wicked here but he walks in the word of God. In fact, it's interesting to just note from a big picture standpoint that the most lengthy chapter in all the Bible, Psalm 119, is the chapter that leads into the Psalms of Ascent. 
And that particular chapter is all about what happens when a person follows the word of God. The word of God will be like a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. Psalm 119, verse 105. And so it is interesting to think about that just in terms of the order of the Psalms. And everyone, every one of us would say we want to be a blessed person. We want to enjoy a blessed life, a joyful life, new, new living. And you might be asking, well, how does one experience a blessed life? If that's the goal, how does one get there? <laughs> well, it's found in verse 1, and here it is. It's not that complicated. How blessed is everyone, a sweeping statement, who does two things, who fears the Lord and what? walks in his ways. Doesn't sound that complicated, does it? If you've been around the church at all, verse one should not shock you in the least. But here's the deal. How many of us are actually walking in the fear of the Lord and walking in his ways? <laughs> See, we, we can understand scripture. We can know God's commands. We can understand his heart his will. It's one thing to know something, it's quite another to walk in it. And whenever the Bible uses the word walk, that's just a synonym for the word live. It's what you do, it's how you live that really matters. Your, your walk will reveal your heart. Your steps will reveal what's truly important to you. You will make time for what's important. And the blessed person is everyone, and that includes you and me, you are in that category, who, number one, who fears the Lord. And let me be clear before we move on. The fear of the Lord, you'll notice, Lord is in all caps there, that's Yahweh. Remember how we've learned that over these last several years of being together? That is everyone who fears the right God. Not that you just say that you're spiritual, not that you just say that you're you know, you believe in a superior power or a divine force somewhere, that's not going to do it. It's the fear of the Lord, and here it is literally YHWH, it's the fear of Yahweh, that is the God of the Bible. You can say that you're spiritual, but you're not going to be a blessed person unless you fear the true God, the God of the Bible. This Sunday, we're going to look at an interaction between Moses and Aaron and Pharaoh, and the, the staff of Aaron or Moses will swallow up the serpents of Egypt. And it's, it's going to be this representation of true God, the true God versus false gods. And he swallows them up. It's a picture of his sovereignty, that he is superior to every so-called God with a small g. So before we move on, it's the fear of the right God. It's the fear of the Lord. You might ask, what does it mean to fear the Lord? I hear people talk about that. What, is, what does that mean? Should I be trembling when I wake up every day? Should I walk around wondering if I maybe made him angry? Is that the fear of the Lord? Actually, the fear of the Lord is defined this way, and this is, there's more that could be said, but negatively, the fear of the Lord means to depart or turn away from evil. Simply put, positively, it means to walk in his ways. Let me say that one more time. The fear of the Lord could be defined this way, negatively to depart or turn away from evil, positively to walk in God's way. So think of it this way. 
you guys, many of you know John the Beloved, and he's a singer, and he came on our last Israel trip, and he brought his guitar, and he's a very wonderful guy with great wit, a great sense of humor. And uh, one time I was mentioning Frank Sinatra's song, I did it my way, and John the Beloved changed it to, I did it Yahweh. And that's really what the fear of the Lord is. It's doing it Yahweh or his way. Everybody with me? That, that means that you're serious when you turn away from what displeases God and turn towards what pleases him. Certainly undertones here with the word fear of honor, reverence, respect, awe. It's all there in the fear of the Lord. But it is not so much this quaking in your sandals fear. It's an honor, a respect, a reverence that gets walked out in your life. See, that's when we know people are serious with us is when they actually back up what they tell us with their action, amen? God is the same way. You can give words all day long. Jesus said to the religious leaders of his day, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are what? Far from me. So we can come into a church building and we can sing the songs. We can even know scripture verses. But if it doesn't affect the sidewalk in which we are walking, on which we are walking, and the relationships that we have in our work environment and our home environment, which is what this psalm is about, then it's not doing us any good. It's really, frankly, a show. It's phony. Now, the very next book is Proverbs. I want you to turn to your right to Proverbs chapter 2. Here's a little wisdom from a father to a son. It relates to the fear of the Lord. Let's just take a peek at it. Uh, Proverbs 2 verse 1 says, My son, if you will receive my sayings, Proverbs 2, 1, treasure my commandments within you. Make your ear attentive to wisdom, Proverbs 2, 2, incline your heart to understanding. If you cry for discernment and lift your voice for understanding... If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, if you do, then you will discern what? The fear of the Lord, Proverbs 2, 5. And discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and and understanding. So you will notice in Proverbs 2, if you're attentive, if you're open, if you cry for discernment, if you seek, then you will understand, verse 5, Proverbs 2, the fear of the Lord. You will discern that fear, and you will know what to do. Back to Psalm 128. The opening uh, verse of Job says, there was a man in in the land of Uz, whose name was Job, that man was blameless and upright, fearing God, Job 1.1, and turning away from evil. The book of Job, which we're airing on the radio on Walk in Truth right now, opens with Job being a righteous man. God will brag on Job, and he's described in Job 1.1 as blameless, upright. He fears God, and he turns away from evil. When you cross-reference the life of Job in the Old Testament, I believe it's in Ezekiel. He's compared to two men, and that is to Daniel. Uh, Let me see. It's Daniel and one other, and hopefully his name will come to my my heart, or maybe you guys know it. Uh, Anyway, and he is 
described as a, an extremely righteous man. And the point here is that this is what makes one righteous, is the fear of the Lord. It's the reverence and awe of God. Noah is the other one. It's Noah and Daniel. So fearing God and turning away from evil is a phrase used in the book of Proverbs to epitomize a wise man. Job 28, 28 says, And to man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding. Now, I mentioned Psalm 119 to you. I want you to turn there just for a sec for a cross-reference on the fear of the Lord. Psalm 119, it's the longest chapter in the Bible and in the Psalms, and Let's look at just the first six verses to get another angle on the fear of the Lord. It says, How blessed, Psalm 119.1, are those whose way is blameless who walk in the law of the Lord. Psalm 119, verse 2. How blessed are those who observe his testimonies, who seek him with all their heart. They also do no unrighteousness. They walk in his ways. There's the positive side. Thou hast ordained thy precepts that we should keep them diligently. Oh, that my ways may be established to keep thy statutes. Then I shall not be ashamed when I look upon all thy commandments. What are God's ways? Psalm 128, if you turn back there. Uh, the fear of the Lord is the first part, if you want to be blessed. And then to walk in his ways is the positive. What are his ways? Well, we could spend till midnight talking about God's ways, couldn't we? So I'm going to limit my comments to just the first 17 books of the Bible. No, I'm just kidding. You're like, what? Come on, Pastor Michael. There's a time of fellowship. There's snacks after this. Come on. I'm with you. We're not going to do that. Rather, I'm going to speak to you just about God's ways as it relates to marriage and family. What are God's ways? What information do we need to find out? You know, there's a lot of people that may not know much about God and what he requires of us at all. What does he want from us? Well, I think you're going to see in the psalm that God wants to bless you. He wants you to work hard. For most of us, he's going to have marriage and family, and with that is going to be one of the main ways that we live out our faith. And I think you're going to see just in the next verse one of the principles. When you shall eat, Psalm 128, verse 2, of the fruit of your hands, you will be happy. And it will be well with you. New Living says you will enjoy, Psalm 128, verse 2, the fruit of your labor, how joyful and prosperous you will be. The first point of walking in God's ways or being a blessed person is to work hard. Now, that may sound weird to some of you because you might think that blessing is to be in a hammock with an iced tea, maybe a little umbrella coming out of it. Maybe there's a beach with white sands, you know, and that's cool for sometimes, but the normal pattern of life for blessedness is hard work. And by the way, in an agrarian culture, the hard work you did on your field or your farm was directly connected to your prosperity or lack thereof. If you decided to sleep in, I wanted to sleep, I'm gonna turn over, turn off that alarm, cover my head. Keep me in the darkness. We, we feel that. Well, then you don't go out to your field, and you don't go out to your field, then your crop doesn't come in, and your crop doesn't come in, and you're not going to be in good financial shape. 
So you woke up early, you worked the farm, and you did what you needed to do to bring the crop in, and you got the prosperity that was in keeping with that. And it's not much different today. Most people who work hard end up doing pretty well for themselves, especially here in America. Would you agree? Now, there's no guarantees. This is a general principle. Things can happen. But if you work hard, you will get the fruit of your labor. And part of this is connected in an agrarian culture to offspring, because when you had a quiver full of sons and daughters, they could help with the property, and it would make you more prosperous. And one of the men that was an early picture of prosperity before everything fell apart is Job. He had seven sons and three daughters, and he was the greatest man of the East, and he had a lot of blessedness in his life. If you want to be a blessed person, work hard. The result... You can literally say, oh, your happiness. It will be well with you. Look at the end of verse two. You will be happy and it will be well with you. Do your best. Don't do it. Ephesians chapter six, verses one through nine is a good cross-reference. We won't turn there tonight. But it talks about raising children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And it says that if you're a servant in a, in a business or something, you're an employee E, then you are to do your best, not just when the boss is around, not just by way of eye service. You're to give your best as to the Lord and not to men. You work as unto the Lord. You give your best because he's always watching, even if your boss is at lunch. You do your best. And look, people... Uh, a lot of you guys are involved in business, and I was in the secular working world for many, many years, and now I'm out of it. But when you get a good employee, they're like gold. Amen? When you get someone who will show up on time, do their job well, work hard, you know, do the best for the company, represent you well, it means everything. It's huge. There's a principle here to elders. It says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. And that, all I think everything you'll look at on this passage uh, speaks of remuneration or pay. It says, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching, 1 Timothy 5, 17. For the scripture says, and here's an agrarian image, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages, 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18. The Bible even talks about someone who works hard at teaching and preaching. Now, that's now my job. I've shifted gears. When I was 33, I moved out of the secular world into full-time ministry. And working hard at teaching and, and preaching is extremely important because I do not want to get up here and not have prepared I will tell you that in the prayer meeting just before this midweek service, I was saving my notes, and I usually email my notes to myself on this little iPad, and it's what I've been preparing the whole time to deliver the sermon to you, and all of a sudden, I couldn't find the file. And the people in the prayer meeting knew what was going on, and they started praying for me. Oh, Lord, help him find the file. But if he doesn't find the file, then help him to rely on you in Jesus' name. And I was like, no, no, don't pray part B of that prayer. I want to rely upon the Lord, but my preparation is part of what's going on here. In the name of the Lord, Lord, your will be done. Anyway, I had named the file incorrectly and found it. Praise God. See, 
working hard is a biblical theme, and it goes with blessedness, and hard work is not just something that happened after the fall, the, the sweat of your brow, you'll work the, the field, all of that. No, Adam was put in the garden to care for it and keep it, and even the idea of protection prior to the fall. We were made to work, to work hard, to do well at whatever we're gifted to do. And that could be as a stay-at-home mom. You, you probably have the toughest job on the planet, right? It's not you know, defined as being in an office. It's just whatever you put your hands do, to do, do it well, and you'll be blessed. You'll be pleased with a job well done. And we have to learn that sometimes over our lifetime about you know, how to give our best to something. So that's, that's one right here walking in God's ways is to work hard right there in the psalm. Here's the second thing. Your wife, verse 3, shall be like a fruitful vine. I think of a Proverbs 31 woman who's industrious and a blessing to her family. I think of Titus 2.3 of a godly woman who teaches other women. And she'll be like a fruitful vine within your house. Now, if you have a good marriage, a fruitful vine is a wonderful picture of blessing and growth and production. And if something is fruitful, that's what we desire, right? Nobody, nobody got married. Nobody went up to an altar saying, you know what? I really hope in four years we have a terrible marriage. Nobody went to the altar that way. Everybody had the best of intentions, to see a relationship and a family be fruitful. That's what we all want. But we, we've got to try to bring our best to that as well. I want you to notice in verse 3, your wife is singular. <laughs> Sometimes there's things that I say up here that I think I don't need to say. And it is also a wife. So there is a biblical formula for marriage and the family. It is one man one woman for life. They become one in marriage. Amen? And your wife, singular, that you're to commit to in covenant will be a fruitful vine. And part of the way that she will flourish is in the way that you treat her, gentlemen. Now, if we love our wives as Christ loved the church, I think she's going to flourish under our leadership. Do you agree? And Jesus gave an image to the disciples. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. John 15, 4 and 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing but take the positive. But... In Christ's power, we can do all things. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That includes loving your spouse. That includes bringing your best to whatever endeavor God calls you to. Why would you ever bring your worst to it? With the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach will be satisfied, Proverbs 18, 20 through 22. He will be satisfied with the product of his lips. Listen to the, how this goes. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Those who love it will eat its fruit. Listen. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. It's always struck me 
that Proverbs 18 about death and life are in the power of the tongue, verse 21, is followed by verse 22, which says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. What's your point, Pastor Michael? Simply this, be careful what you say in marriage because your words end up causing someone to flourish or to recoil from you. You can bring growth, which is another way to say edification by your words, or you can do what? You can tear people down. Now, nobody has a perfect record. There's no perfect man. James says, you know, the tongue is certainly a problem, and we struggle with it. But your wife will be like, whenever you see the word like in your Bible, it's a simile, it's a picture. She'll be like a fruitful vine growing. Israel was called God's choice vine in Isaiah 5, verse 2. Joel 2.22 says, Do not fear, beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness have turned green, for the tree has borne its fruit. The fig tree and the vine have yielded in full. Then I will make up to you the years that the swarming locust is eaten, the creeping locust, the stripping locust, the gnawing locust. They tear at the plant, my great army which I sent among you. And you shall have plenty to eat and be satisfied. And praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. Then my people will never be put to shame. Thus you will know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and that there is no other. And my people will never be put to shame. Sometimes things get eaten away. The locusts come and they strip bare the field and we say, what do we do now? And God says, I will restore to you the years that the locust is eaten. But do you know what happened? Do you know why Israel experienced that restoration? Because they repented. God said, if you would repent, if you would not just tear your garments, but tear your heart, if you would turn to me, then I would leave a blessing behind or in the aftermath of that turning. Israel would blossom again. The land that was once devastated by armies and demolished would begin to blossom again. We've seen that even in our day, and that is true in relationships and marriages as well. Your wife, New Living Translation, will be like a fruitful grapevine flourishing within your home. Your children, middle of three, will be like vigorous young olive trees as they sit around your table. Here's the picture of a happy family. We have entitled this, The Key to a Fruitful and Happy Marriage and Family. And here's the picture. Your wife is in the home. She's flourishing. She's doing great. There's joy. And your kids are around the table like vigorous young olive trees, eating you out of house and home. Now, those of you who have little kids, there's some of this that has manifested itself, but they get older between the teen years of about 14 to 35. (laughs) Just kidding. More like 20 They are hungry every half an hour. I'm starving. I gotta eat. You say, you just ate. What do you mean you're hungry again? Go do some work or something. Yes. The olive represents peace, fatness, joy, and flourishing prosperity. Here's kids and mom and dad around the table doing well. How much do you see that in a recent sitcom in America. A happy, balanced family that prays together and 
reverences and honors the Lord and literally talks about things that are healthy and good. See that in a recent sitcom? Oh, no, 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 no. That's pretty much gone. Do you know, it says of the Messiah, then a shoot, Isaiah 11:1 1, will spring from the stem of Jesse. A branch from his roots will bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. I was watching Ray Vanderlaan. He was talking about Jesus being called a Nazarene and growing up in Nazareth. And he said that Nazareth was literally known as shoot town, S-H-O-O-T, a shoot that comes out of the ground. And Jesus came out of shoot town, according to prophecy in Isaiah 11, 1 and 2. He was that precious olive tree. And get this, when he was in the garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane means the olive press. And when Jesus was praying over the prospects of the cross, and he said, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Scholars say the picture is that the Gethsemane was coming down on Jesus And it says, Luke says, a medical doctor, that he was bleeding, as it were, great drops of blood coming out of him were pouring to the ground. Some think that that's uh, symbolic. Some believe literal. The literal camp says tiny capillaries were bursting under his skin, and he was literally out of his sweat glands. He was bleeding drops of blood to the ground. That's how much uh, spiritual and uh, psychological pressure he was feeling knowing what was ahead of him. And the precious olive was being crushed under the pressure. Jesus was that precious olive, if you will. And he had the joy, the oil of gladness above his companions. That was, of course, a moment in his life, but he had joy. And so what do we have in in Psalm 128? Let's just review. If you want to be a blessed person, you fear the Lord, you walk in his ways. You work hard. You marry and have family. This will be the norm for most people. Singleness is a gift. Your wife will be a fruitful vine. Your children all have plants around your table. And then verse four is a bookend. Behold, I just told you the truth of how to be blessed. Thus shall the man be, and this is directed to the man, the man be blessed who fears the Lord. So if you like to put marks in your Bible, that's a bookend. The opening was the... The truth, you're told how to do it, and then, you're say, and then it says, behold, this is what the man will be like who does these things. He'll be blessed who fears the Lord. Amen? That's just the simple equation of the Bible. I love it. It's not complicated. The blessings have been described in verses 2 through 4. You build on the foundation of the fear of the Lord. You walk in his ways. That's your intent. That's your goal. That's your trajectory. And here's what you get. The Lord, verses 5 and 6, are summation with prayers related to what was taught. The Lord bless you from Zion. That's another name for Jerusalem. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Let me just pause here for a second and just say to you that when you have men who fear the Lord, families who fear the Lord, They permeate cities who end up fearing the Lord, and those cities become prosperous. Because God's blessing will be where people fear him. Amen? Whether that's a home, whether that's a company, 
whether that's a marriage and family around the table, whether that's a city, God wants to bless. But he will not bless rebellion. But if you're a person trying to please the Lord and you woke up today and you said, Lord, I don't have it all together, but there's been talk about this putting on this armor and clothing myself in humility and walking in your ways and fearing you and setting myself apart first thing in the morning before I go to work, before I do what I'm going to do. And so here I am. Lord, send me. Lord, use me. Lord, clothe me. That's the kind of prayers the Lord wants to bless. Lord, use me. If there's someone who needs to hear the gospel today, Lord, if I'm leading a company, help me be a good shepherd. If I'm an employee, help me be a good employee. Let me be a light in this company. Are you with me? These are the things that God wants to bless. He wants to empower. He wants to fill. So you pause at your door, and you're coming home to your family, and your wife and children have a wonderful plan for your life after you worked a 10-hour day. Can I get a witness? And so, but your wife worked a 10-hour day too, just on the other side of the door. Probably a harder 10-hour day. And there you come. You close the door. You take a couple deep breaths. You're about to go into the house. They will have an immediate plan for your life. What are you to do? I'm watching the ball game. Leave me alone. <laughs> or pause at the door and say something like this. Oh, Lord. <laughs> I don't have much to give, but I know they need me to be husband and to be dad or a grandpa or whatever, whatever your situation is. So fill me with your love, with your patience. Help me to give to the ones that mean the most to me. I gave at the office, but they need me more than the people at the office. Help me. I often pause walking up to this building and I say, Lord, would you make me a shepherd after your own heart? I don't have the, the goods to do this job. I don't. So give me your heart for your people and help me to be a shepherd to, that represents you well, a shepherd under the chief shepherd. Maybe this is your prayer. Lord, would you love my wife through me? I'm not, you know, in the best of moods or you know, maybe there's some sort of struggle. This is where you call upon the name of the Lord. How blessed is the man or the woman who says, Lord, I reverence and honor you, and I want to walk in your ways. Don't worry about yesterday. You can't change it. Don't worry about tomorrow. You can't control it. Amen? This is what we do. I would have, should have, could have, and I would have, should have, could have, would have, would have, would have. Or we do, and what if this? But you can't change yesterday, and you can't control tomorrow, so all you got to worry about is today. Isn't that freeing? Everybody just take a deep breath. That's all you got to worry about. Easy for you to say. <laughs> No, not necessarily. But that's what Jesus said. Don't worry about tomorrow, right? Take care of today. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The Lord bless you from Zion. We need a prayer after this one. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem, the city, all the days of your life. Indeed, six, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. I'm past midlife now. It's hard to admit, but there it is. I qualify for certain discounts around the city.
it's true. Some people have questioned that, which I uh, take great delight in. <laughs> Someone literally questioned whether I was the right age to qualify for a discount recently, and I was like, oh, bless you. Let me just give you, I'll absolve you from every sin you've committed this week. Bless you, got some holy water out. No, just kidding. But you know, as you get a little bit older, you start thinking in these terms. Oh, it'd be nice to see my children's children. Amen? Amen. And then, you know, as time goes on, uh, there's somebody in our fellowship that I think that has 18 grandchildren. We were just playing golf together. And that, that's, the quiver is full, man. There's a couple quivers there. And that's good. But you know, when life uh, unfolds and if God gives us length of days by his grace, what a beautiful thing to see our children's children. And for some, even their children's children's children. Isn't that cool? And to be able to impart wisdom, and I hear from grandparents, and I know we have some grandparents in the room, that it's really cool because you can spoil them and then you just send them home. Is, is that one of the blessings? Yeah, cool. Anyway, and uh, you can watch as they learn all the lessons that you hopefully learned along the way. But here it is. How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord and walks in his ways. Father, oh, we're so grateful for your word. <clears throat> it's so practical. So this one is very simple, and yet probably the hardest thing that we have to do is to truly fear you, to depart from evil, and to walk in your ways. Your ways are not complicated. They're just not always easy for us to execute. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And we can fulfill the law, not in the strength of our flesh, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we can do that in our homes and our marriages. And we can do that in life as we live it in the city that we're in. And we can do that unto your glory. And we can see promises here for blessedness and joy and happiness. This is what you want for us. Maybe that's a surprise for some. Maybe they've misunderstood who you are, that this is what you want. You want to bless your people, and you have, and you continue to. So, Father, as we just take a few moments to drink in your word, I pray for those who may be hearing my voice or may hear this later who have brokenness. And a <clears throat> fruitful picture is not what's in their life right now. Maybe growth and flourishing is not the reality. But the hope is that it can be again, that you can restore the years that the locust has eaten. And that is my prayer for those who are in a tough spot tonight. You are a God of restoration, and you're a God who can reestablish joy and happiness and peace Sometimes it takes the help of others and the community to help us with that. But ultimately, you are our healer, and when we walk in your ways, blessedness comes. And we'd have to admit, fathers, if we take just an honest assessment of our lives, that usually that's the problem, is that we're not walking in your ways, and thus we're not blessed. But it is so wonderful to know that the moment we turn back and do something called repent, you have a blessing. And you cleanse us from our sin and you give us a new start. And that's my prayer for those who
maybe this picture of fruit and joyfulness is not the reality tonight. I also pray for areas of our lives that the enemy maybe has gotten a foothold that we'd recognize the spiritual warfare there and take steps to pray against that, use God's word, and ultimately see our homes built on the right foundation, Lord. Unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain. But if the Lord builds the house, it will be stable, even in the storms. Would you take a few moments to just have a Selah time with the Lord? Just let your soul pause for a moment and ponder and drink in what the Holy Spirit might be saying to you tonight. If you're not a Christian, the primary thing is to get saved, to trust in Christ for your salvation. If you're a prodigal, the primary thing is to come home. If there's something you need to repent of that's out of whack in your life, you're not alone. Maybe you could do a little business with the Lord tonight. And for those of you who maybe this is an accurate picture and you are flourishing and you're blessed, then practice more of that thankfulness and thanking the Lord for all that he's given to you in your life and celebrate it every day. We love you, Father, in Jesus' name.